0: You are listening to the Passion City Church podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Tonight, we're talking about the chain of bitterness. And uh, raise your hand. Let's just do a little, you know, a little crowd participation. If you've struggled with the chain, no, you don't have to raise your hand. I'm sure nobody knows what I'm talking about, that it's a chain. Or maybe we all do. And we all realize it can be something that the enemy is using to hold us back. I do need to confess before we start um, that I'm carrying some bitterness today. I'm walking in a little frustrated. I'm a little disappointed. Uh, I'm a little mad to be honest with you. And I hope it's okay that you don't stop listening to me because I am going to be bringing a message. And I'm probably just preaching myself tonight, but I'm very bitter at the Alabama Crimson Tide. Who said Roll Tide? Who are the Tide fans in the house? Would would you kindly uh, leave or what? watching overflow would be awesome. Who are the people that strongly dislike? We won't use the hate word, but strongly dislike the tide. Where are you at? Okay. I feel good. And who are the people who could care less about football, college uh, football, especially? Hey, you got good luck. It's only like four more months until football season's over and you don't have to hear about it for another six months. But here's the reason why I'm upset. Grant mentioned it earlier, but yesterday was my birthday and yesterday my team, Texas A&M, played the Alabama Crimson Tide. (laughs) And I was uh, really fortunate because my wife, I was fortunate at the beginning of the day, my wife planned an amazing day for us and put all the effort into, with the help of a friend, a couple friends, getting me to the Alabama A&M game at Alabama. Amazing experience. A lot of behind the scenes stuff. So, so cool. And I was really, really fired up until three plays in. We had thrown a pick and Alabama had thrown a touchdown pass. and I'm like, God, are you serious right now? I mean, today is my birthday. Do you not know it's my birthday? And I'm preaching tomorrow. I'm doing the Lord's work. Why can you not just let the Aggies win or at least let them hang in there till halftime? Like, God, you know all I've done for you. You know I've been there. I've been serving you. I mean, you love the Alabama fans enough. I don't even know if you love them, to be honest with you. But like, surely you love me. Surely there's gonna be hope. Surely you're gonna come through. And my hopes are dashed. My dreams were destroyed and I had to drive all the way back from Tuscaloosa bitter. I'm still a little upset, except for the fact that it became a message illustration for you. So I guess maybe God's purposes have prevailed. I don't know, but let's go. So it's a, it's a chain. I'll define it for you a little bit. Bitterness is a self-inflicted loathing where psychologically we are hoping to change our circumstances by directing our anger towards the person who wronged us. It's most seen when we continue to identify and internalize those frustrations, those hangups, those disappointments. We're, for you or for me, maybe we're bitter at someone else's success, bitter at our position in life, bitter, angry, mad. There's cousins, it's resentment, it's grudges at, something that happened, we didn't get what we deserved. And that is the chain of bitterness. There's plenty of examples in scripture Because we live in, uh, we're all humans, the people in scripture other than Jesus and he took on human form, but he was the son of God, but the scripture's full of humans and when humans are involved, there's gonna be friction, there's gonna be tension, there's gonna be hurt feelings, there's gonna be anger, there's gonna be people messing up and we're all humans and so we're gonna live in a world full of how to deal and how to react when there's frustration, hurt feelings, people turning their back on you, people making you mad. Scripture's full of a bunch of examples. Jo, uh, Joseph is one of the first ones I think of. If you don't know the story of Joseph, he was, sold, he was thrown into a pit by his brothers. Then he was sold into slavery into Egypt. And there he was separated in a different country from all of his family. Surely he should have been bitter, but he saw God use it. Job lost everything. Hannah couldn't have a child. She was weeping bitterly. Naomi is actually a really fascinating story. I just want to read it really quickly as we dive into the definition of bitterness. Naomi, you might not know, but it's in Ruth chapter one. Says she had a husband and two sons that all of them passed away. She had lost everything, especially in that society when the men were the protection and the provision. So it was her and her two daughters-in-laws, one of her daughters-in-law and her went back to their hometown. I want you to read this. Ruth chapter one, verse 19. So the two women, Naomi and Ruth, they went on until they came to Bethlehem, back to her hometown. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, But the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. She was so mad. She was so disappointed. She was so angry. She actually changed her name. And what does Mara mean? It means bitter. She wanted to be known not as her old name, her old way of life. Everything had been flipped upside down, so she just said, Call me bitter. Everywhere I go, I want you to know I'm bitter. I'm mad. I'm upset. Things didn't work out. And I would imagine there's plenty of us in this room that are carrying some heavy circumstances. And yes, something's been wrong, something wrong has been done to you but you've internalized it in such a way that it's now become a chain. And God wants to set you free. He has a freedom plan for you. He has a freedom plan for me. He doesn't want us to be held back anymore by the hurts and the frustrations of the past, but he wants us to walk in the newness of life, walk in victory. And he's got a freedom plan for you and for me. But how? How? It's a really important question. How? I mean, there's some small hurts and big hurts, small hangups, big hangups. How are we ever going to walk in this freedom, loose the chains that have been holding us back? How are we going to do it? There's another really familiar passage of scripture. It's a Luke 15, if you'll turn there, if you've got your scripture, if not, it'll be on the screen. A lot of you know, this story as the prodigal son. And I love, by the way, being a part of a church where there have been people that have been following Jesus for their whole life. And then people that might be walking in for the very first time tonight, knowing nothing about Scripture. And then there's all of us right there in between. And this story, we think, man, it's a prodigal son. I know this. I know everything about it. And then there are people are like, tell me more. I don't know. That's the kind of church I'm so glad that we're a part of. But just to catch everybody up, this prodigal son story is about a younger brother who skipped town who left his father's house. And honestly, um, it's humans when they were putting some headings in the scripture that really referred to it as the prodigal son, it's the parable of the lost son. But it's really more about the forgiving father, the reckless love seemingly to the world of the father and about the older brother. But it was the younger brother, Jesus is telling this story, by the way, there's a crowd of religious elite around, there's the tax collectors and sinners listening in, And that has to be in quotes, but that's how the people would refer to him at the time. The ones, the outcasts shouldn't be there, but Jesus loved them. He came for them. There was the disciples. There was a big crowd. Jesus told this story. The Younger brother had left town, demanded his inheritance. He saw greener pastures. He thought something outside of his father's house would be what would bring him fulfillment, satisfaction. It would be the life. And a lot of you, a lot of us can identify with that story. We're like, man, we are out of here. We get to high school. We get to college. We get away from our parents. We're bolting. Give me what I deserve, and I'm going to do my own thing. And just like you, the same thing happened for the younger brother. He hit rock bottom. The money ran out. The party wasn't as great as it looked. The lies of the world weren't all that satisfying. And he was stuck. He was miserable. He was desperate and with no other options he decides to go home he's like maybe just maybe my father would have me back I know I could never be a son again because I embarrassed my dad I embarrassed my family I caused I brought shame from the community on his life he'll never take me back as a son but maybe just maybe he'll let me wash the wash the livestock or fix the meals he'd just be a servant you know tend to the estate He, he would just let me be a servant and when he comes back To his surprise, he finds a father, a recklessly loving pursuing, chasing, waiting father who bolted to find him, put his arms around him, put the robe around him, told the servants to kill the fatted calf. We're having a party because my son was dead, but now he's alive. My son was lost, but now he's found. That's the gospel, right? That's yours and I's story because we've all run our own way. We've all done our own thing, but God has been chasing after you. Even you being here tonight is God chasing after you. But then we pick up the story. In verse 25, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf, the biggest one, the one that we've been saving because he has him back safe and sound. There's a party. There's music, there's dancing, there's a celebration. Older brother hears it. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Brother's back. He finally came back. He dared to come back. Where does he get such the the nerve to step back into the house after all he's done to my dad, after all he's done to me, after all he's done to our family He's mad that he's back and he's mad that there's a party. How could you, Father, be celebrating him after all that he's done? He was angry. And if you and me want to walk in the freedom plan that God has for us, first and foremost, we have to realize that we are the older brother and that we all have a chain that's holding us back. I don't know what happened to you. God does. But I know in my own life there's plenty of moments of bitterness, grudges, resentment, things that I don't want to let go of, things that I want to hold on to. Some small and petty and some really significant and painful. The younger the older brother, he did have reasons to be mad, did he not? And people in this room, you have reasons to be mad. You, uh, uh, human reasons to be mad. You have reasons to hurt. You have reasons to grieve because some really hard things have happened to you. The message tonight is not simply get over it. The message of God is not simply just don't even think twice about it. But he does have freedom on the table for you and for me. So I don't know what your pain is. But I know God's greater than that pain. I know the younger, the older brother, I mean, sure, we would all be mad, right? He had to sit there and he had to watch every single day the dad stand on the front porch and just look out into the distance. He saw his dad, father praying, hoping, believing, talking. Maybe today's the day my son comes home. Maybe today is the day I get word that he's alive. Maybe today is the day he's gonna realize how much I loved him and how much we want him back with us. Maybe today we'll just realize that there's a place for him in our family. But every night he went to bed, crying, hurting couldn't sleep. And the older brother's just watching this and just anger is building up, just growing and growing. It's like, how dare him if I ever see my younger brother after what he's done to us. Oh, you better watch out. It's like, maybe today's the day. Maybe today's the day. And the day come- came. So for you and for me, what do we have to do? We have to, we have to see our chains. See our bitterness and ask God to set us free. Most of us, when it comes to bitterness, we probably think it's about this big. If we see it as a chain at all. We're like, actually, my bitterness, Brad, it's my right. It's what I deserve, it's my coping mechanism. It's the way I'm going to punish whoever did something to me. It's the only way I'm going to get through. It's not a chain, Brad. You don't know what's been done to me. And yes, I can't can't erase your past. I'm not looking over it. But I am just saying at some point, as you continue to internalize and identify it with it, it doesn't really matter what happened in the past because that person is long gone and they're not around. They're doing their own thing. And you're the one that's still stuck. And I'm the one that's still stuck. And so, we have to see that we're our older brother. This message is really easy to preach right here in this moment because I don't have to tell you what you're mad about, what you're frustrated about. You know, as soon as I said the chain of bitterness, you're like, okay. But it is helpful if you will identify it as a chain. You could ask your friends, you could pray about it. You could think about it and you could then ask God to set you free. That's the first step. We're, we are the older brother and we do have a chain. This proverb says that our heart knows its own bitterness and it's dangerous. Joanna Weber wrote a book and in it, she said, bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Because our natural response is to hold on, thinking that we're going to get what is due to us, that we're going to punish whoever did this to us. But when we hold on, it might be easier, but it's way more costly to us. It's going to hurt us and hold us back. And it's what the enemy is using to rob you, not of your past, but actually of your future. Are you willing to ask God for help in letting it go? That's step Number one, it's not a three-step process, but that's the first thing that you really need to do. Growing up, grew up in West Texas. Any Texas people in the house? Okay, five o'clock. Any West Texas people in the house? Okay, we made it out. Congratulations, it's awesome. West Texas, uh, we didn't have like really lush green grass everywhere, it wasn't like, you know, our yards were amazing, because there's a lot, it was like desert land, it's beautiful, you should come visit, but... I didn't have to mow the yard a lot, but it was one of my two chores. It was my mom, my sister, and me. I had to take out the trash, and I had to mow the yard. Uh, taking out the trash usually came after a big debate between me and my mom and trying to, her trying to yell over the volume of Sports Center just to make me finally do it, and then mowing the yard, which I was terrible at. I mean, grass would get real high, but then eventually I would give in. But we did have a side yard that had an eight-foot-tall t- fence all the way around it, and only one window from our house could see the side yard and we never looked at that window. And so we had no idea what was happening in that side yard until anybody ever been there until, I mean, I'm sure it was destroyed weeds everywhere. We didn't, we didn't even think about it. We didn't even care. We just kind of let it be, let it stay over there and just do its own thing. And then one day I was driving up to the house and I looked to the side yard and I've, I've got trees weeds that are trees, nine foot tall weeds. You should have heard my mom when she saw those because i let it get so out of hand. There was now a forest in my side yard. And I'm telling you what, there was a, no lawnmower, no weed eater. I busted a bunch of weed eaters. My, it took me hours and hours, days and days, blood, sweat and tears because I had to get in there and I had to give it all I had to get those roots out because I hadn't paid attention to it. I just let it be. And then it, maybe it did start like this. Maybe it was small, maybe it was something petty, maybe it was something that was no big deal, I should have gotten over, but then it was this. So we gotta deal with it. We gotta face up to it. We gotta ask God uh, to help us. If we want that, then our freedom starts with listening. Your freedom, my freedom starts with listening. Let's pick up back in the story. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father, verse 28, his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? It's a conversation. The father surprises everyone by going out to the son when the son has been disrespecting the father, yet the father still humbles himself to go out to the son and he's entreating them, come in. I want you here. There's a party. There's a place for you. We miss you. We want you here. And the son gives him a piece of his mind. He gives him the speech. He, get, he blows up. He said, "Look here, Dad. Look here, Dad, you owe me. I deserve the fat and cat. I've been here the whole time. I've been following orders. I've been doing what you wanted me to do. I haven't gone and blown all the money. I haven't shamed you, embarrassed you. Why him and not me?" And those are the phrases. That show that there's a root of bitterness that's now become a forest and a chain that's holding this older brother back, making him miss the party. I do want to pause and say, yes, some of the things that you're dealing with do need a very serious dialogue with God. There's no better place to go with your hurts, with your hangups, with your frustrations than to God. Go Pour out your soul, cast all your burdens, your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Have a conversation. Be like Jacob and wrestle with God. It's not just a blanket like answer, God, it's all easy. You're perfect, you're amazing. I'm okay with it, whatever happens in life because I love you. No, life hurts. And there's things that we have to process through. Even Jesus in his last moments is like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the older brother, yes, he, he was talking to the father, but there was no respect. He said, look here, dad. And he failed to listen. It's okay. God's not a, afraid of your questions. God's not afraid of your frustrations. God, it, you don't have to fake it in front of God. Come to him, but don't forget to listen. Don't forget to let him talk. Don't forget to hear what he has to say. We're really good listeners, right? but we listen to the wrong voices. We listen to ourselves a lot and that's trouble. We listen to people a lot and they're trouble, right? Just tell them right next to you. You know, y'all are trouble. No, there's some good voices, but come on, let's be honest. There's a, a lot of the voices we get from our friends, our coworkers, culture, our parents is you should be mad. You shouldn't get over that. You better not forgive her. They did stab you in the back. Oh my gosh, I can't believe them. I'm on your side forever. And they're just pouring fuel on the fire. And they're just causing that bitterness and that chain to get stronger and stronger and stronger. We need to listen to the voice of our heavenly father. And when we listen, this is something we're gonna hear something similar to this. He said, my son, my son, the older brother came mad, came angry, came yelling. And the father started speaking tenderly. My son, my daughter, I love you. I know you're mad. I know you're frustrated. I know you're hurt. I know you're struggling. But I just want you to hear me say, my son, my daughter, you're mine. That's what he says. You're all, you've always been with me. And everything I have is yours. That's what he told his son. He said, yes, we've been embarrassed. We've been disgraced. There's been a lot of pain, but let's not just spend so much time thinking about the past. What's been taken from us? What's been done to us? What's been stolen from us? Let's think about what we got. If you want to get over your bitterness, if you want to see the freedom of God come into your life, then we have to stop obsessing over what happened to us. And seeing it and thinking about it and dwelling on it and just driving it home even deeper. We have to start obsessing on what's been done for us. Because the fact that we're you can clap for that if you want. I know you wanted to. You're so close. It was so close. Man. We have to start thinking about all that God's done for us, all that we have in him, all that it means to be a son or a daughter of God because we didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it, but yet God sent his son to chase after us. We were, yes, we're the older brother, but we're also the younger brother, right? And we have a relationship. We have the, with with God Almighty. We have the Holy Spirit comforting us, helping us, leading us. We have Forgiveness from sins. We have eternal security no matter what happens on earth. Nothing can separate us from our Father. We have purpose. We can be used by God despite our circumstances for the things that matter most, the things that will last forever. And so don't just obsess and obsess and obsess and everywhere you go, it's bitter and mad and frustration. I'm gonna talk about it. I'm gonna tell everybody. I'm gonna to try to build my side and build my case. No, just be like, ah My son, my daughter, you've always been with me. Yeah, God, I've always been. I'm your son, I'm your daughter. I'm with you, you're with me. You've forgiven me, you love me, you're helping me. You're using me, think about that. We have a three and a half year old son. And a year and a half year old girl, Caleb and Addie. So we're in a lot of the younger brother or older brother, younger sister fights. It's like, uh, it's amazing. Kids have this incredible capacity to like fight and like hit each other and yell and scream and cry over like a Paw Patrol toy. But then like 10 seconds later, they're like happy and dancing and loving each other's, you know, it's life. But we we're, we get mad. You know, somebody does something to us. We're we're professionals at holding on to things, to not getting over things, getting grudges. But um, Caleb, we're trying to help him share. He's the bigger brother and he can just go take whatever he wants from his younger sister. And he is in the other room doing his own thing by the time she even notices what happens. But I have to have some conversations with them. Sometimes they're very positive and say, son, look at me. I'm so proud of you. I love you. You're doing a great job sharing with your sister. You're doing a great job treating your mom like in uh, respecting her. You're amazing. I'm so proud of you. I miss you. I'm home. Look at me. Look at me. I want him to look me in the eye. And there are a lot of times I'm like, uh, buddy, we need to have a talk. And we sit in that chair. And I'm like, look at me. Look me in the eye. We need to talk about what you just did to your little sister. And we need to make sure you apologize. And he's going to say, I'm sorry. And I'm not going to say, did you mean that? Because he's only three years old. Because he didn't mean it. But at least he said it. So I'm teaching him at a young age. Sorry, I'm, I'm kind of venting on what it's like to be a parent of toddlers. Sorry. I, I, sorry, you want me to write a book about it? But, I, but I'm like, look at me. Look at me. And he's like uh, playing with the buttons on my shirt. He's trying to get any toy that he can. He's licking my nose. He's like changing the subject. I'm like, look at me. And the Father's Heavenly Father saying the same thing to you and to me. You're, you're hurt. You're mad. You're frustrated. He gets it. He's been... Jesus has been hurt, mad, frustrated, disappointed. He knows what it's like, but he's, God's saying, look at me. Look at me. We need to have a talk. You're my son. You're my daughter. I don't care what happens. Nothing's changing that. I don't matter what's been done to you. Something better has been done for you. And so you just keep looking at me and I will bring you to freedom our freedom starts with listening. In this series, we've been talking about prayer and fasting. First message that our pastor gave was about a miracle only happened with prayer and with fasting. Prayer is leaning towards God. And fasting is leaning away from the world. And that's the same thing that's happening here. We need to lean towards God and listen. And we need to lean away from the voices of the world that are only gonna tell us to hold on. And then, I, you know, just cl- kind of coming towards the end. What's fascinating in this story? I've never really thought about it. I've read this a thousand times. Is that Jesus doesn't finish the story. He doesn't finish it. It says, my son, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. Luke 16, verse one, Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man. So we're on to another story. You're like, wow, like the DVR cut off too short. What happened at the end of the game? What happened at the end of the movie, end of the show? I need to know, I need to know, I need to know. He just doesn't finish it. Or maybe Luke forgot, or maybe he fell asleep during the middle of the story and so he didn't want to be inaccurate. So he's just like, I'll go on to the next one. I forgot how it ended. Maybe it was lost in some manuscripts. But what we do know is that the son was outside. The party was going on inside. The father comes out and talks to the son, tells him what he needs to hear, tells him, what, tells him what's true about him, invites him back into the party offers the older brother the same grace that the younger brother got and then that the son had a choice he gave the older son the power to choose do you want to stay outside and be mad, and hold on, and be angry, and wait for vengeance, wait for revenge, wait for a time, you know, for your brother to finally come apologize to you, or apologize to you 47 times, or enough people to say, we, we were wrong, or throwing the party, we're gonna kick this brother back out, no, that wasn't the key that was gonna unlock the chain of bitterness in the older brother's life. The father gave him the key. And the father's given you the key. Heads up. Oh, I'm a professional. Don't worry. Got that. This ain't a hobby, people. Um, I don't have a lock for this, so it doesn't work as well. Can't believe Todd didn't bring me a lock. Golly, add that. There's a key and it's called forgiveness. Forgiveness, you choosing to forgive is the key that can unlock the chain and the grip that the enemy has over your life. Ephesians chapter four, Paul tells the Ephesians, get rid of all bitterness, not, not just certain bitterness, not just certain things. He said, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. And then he says, be kind and compassionate to one another. And then here's how we do it. Forgiving each other just as Christ has forgiven us. So our ability, our, the key is not ours, it's God's key. Our ability to forgive is actually not even our own ability. Because when we set our mind that Christ has forgiven us and it's been irresistible, inexhaustible, no limit to his forgiveness, then we can then share that with other people. When we get in touch with God's forgiveness of ourselves, then we're willing to offer that to other people. Matthew chapter 18, Peter if you know much about Peter, he spoke before he thought, which is a really dangerous thing to do. He was the loudmouth. He would, you know, yell some things out and then you'd have to retract his statements. Just nudge your neighbor if that's them. Nudge your spouse if that's them. It's like, hey, this word's for you, listen up. That's Peter. Actually, don't do that. We don't have enough counselors available after this gathering. But Peter, there's a moment when he, he knew that Jesus said, you know, in the Lord's prayer, pray that God would forgive you as we in turn forgive those who've sinned against us. That we should love our enemies. We should feed them a meal. We should give them something to drink when they're thirsty. So then, therefore, we can uh, put, you know, heat burning coals on their head. That's what Romans 12 says. You're like, now we're talking. Heat burning coals. I'm in. I'm listening. What do I need to do to that person? But Peter speaks up. He said, Jesus, I know you're talking about forgiveness. How many times should we forgive somebody who sins against us? What's the limit? And he says, is it seven? And he was trying to show off. He was trying to impress Jesus with the right answer. He was trying to get the applause. Peter, man, you're so holy. Man, you're impressive. I just, most, most jokers would have said two or three, but you're thinking seven, I'm so proud of you. I'm gonna build my kingdom through you. And you're my guy. And Jesus said, no. I mean, the reason Peter said seven is because it's the full number, it's the perfect number. And it's like, maybe that that would be full, like full forgiveness, completed forgiveness. Jesus said, actually, it's 70 times seven. Or some translations would say 77. Either way, what Jesus was trying to say was there should be no limit to your desire and your willingness to forgive other people because there was no limit to my Ability, desire to forgive you. And so what you have received, now you share. Yes, you've been wronged. Yes, you've been hurt. Yes, they've done it all over again. I'm not saying that you shouldn't put up boundaries, that you should just let people walk all over you. But I am saying, because Jesus is saying, we have been given the key to our freedom called forgiveness. And it's not in our own strength and power, but it's by setting our mind on the fact that we have been forgiven. And there was no limit to God's forgiveness towards us because there's no one who's sinned, not even one. We've all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. We've all turned our backs and gone astray. So who do you need to forgive? Who? I believe that one of the most holy God honoring things that could happen after this gathering is yes, we're going to sing and singing honors God. But what might honor him even more tonight is if you have a conversation with somebody. And yes, we can forgive in our heart. We can tell other people around us that we're gonna forgive. But actually when you speak it out to this person, hey, you wronged me. And you might not even think you wronged me. I just want you to know I'm hurt. I'm disappointed. It has been really, really painful, but I have forgiven you or I'm asking God to help me forgive you because I don't want to be robbed by you anymore. You might've taken something from me in the past, but I'm not gonna let you take something from me in the future. And so I'm releasing you. I'm not trying to punish you even more. I'm saying, go for it. I'm good. Because Christ has forgiven me. Maybe, just maybe, one of the things that you need to do leaving this gathering is to set up a coffee or call somebody and apologize. You're not the one that needs to forgive. You're the one that needs forgiveness. And that, that's not the time to settle accounts, and you did this, and well, you were wrong, and I was right, and here's my case, and you know, you're not going expecting them to apologize in return. You just say, I'm sorry. It may have been intentional, It may have been unintentional. It may have been high stakes, life shaping, or it could have been something as small as a harmful word, discouraging word, but you know it hurts somebody and you know it's become a chain on their life. But if you would just be willing to say, I'm sorry, that's what Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. If anybody knows that they've wronged a brother or a sister before they bring their gift to the altar, let them go reconcile. I'm just believing for asking God for the spirit of reconciliation to be on our house, that Christians would not be known by hate and not be known by grudges, not be known by bitterness, but we would be known by the desire, the capacity, the willingness to reconcile with people. That's what the church should be. The brother had a choice. You have a choice. I think the enemy would be really happy and he would have you right where he wants you. If you and me decide to stay outside the party where the grace of God's being celebrated, where people are being, uh, that were lost or now found dead or alive, not getting what they deserve, but getting what they didn't deserve. The enemy would be really happy if you and I just say, nope, I'm saved, I've got my salvation, I'm going to heaven. I just don't care if anybody else gets it. I got grace, I need grace, but I'm gonna work it out on my own now, do my own thing. And it's all about getting what you deserve. What does God owe you? How should God bless you? And we refuse to celebrate the grace of God. Enemy, Enemy would be really, really happy. If this church, if the church, if Christians were people that stood outside from afar judging, mad, God shouldn't be celebrating them. God shouldn't be welcoming them back. God shouldn't be using them. There should be no party. There should be no fattened calf. The servants, the family, the younger brother were all partying It was the older brother that missed out. What are you missing out on? What are you missing out on? Because of your anger, because of my anger, because of your pride, because of my pride because of your grudge, because of my grudge, what are we missing out on? We're missing out on the freedom that God wants for us. I want you to turn as we close to Matthew chapter one. Just get ready. I'm sure you've all been doing your devotionals in this chapter, but Heading of my Bible says, the genealogy of Jesus. You're like, Brad, this is supposed to be the close. Anybody been doing their devotional in the genealogy of Jesus? Anybody in Leviticus? Okay, just checking. Let's just stick with Romans and Ephesians and Psalms, but... A record, verse one, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amenadad. Amenadad, the father of Nishan. Nishan, the father of Sam. Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, a prostitute. We'll get back to that later. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. King David, skip ahead several verses, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. (laughs) Did you see it? I'm gonna go back. Boaz, the father of Obed, Obed, whose mother was Ruth, the same daughter-in-law who lost her husband, mom, Naomi, who lost everything, who was so mad, so hurt. She asked her name to be changed to bitter. Everybody know me as bitter, but yet she hung in there. She held tight, she was loyal to Ruth, she advised Ruth, she helped Ruth, she took Ruth under her wing, she was used for the purposes of God. She listened, she made it through, she let go, and then right there, she's in the genealogy, not just of David, but of Jesus. So if you don't believe that God can take what's bad and turn it for good, just think about Naomi. You think the enemies robbed from you? Maybe they have. Maybe he has, but God can turn it for good. You will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Naomi through Ruth is in the genealogy of Jesus and whose story are you going to be a part of? What celebrations are you going to be a part of? How's God going to use your pain, your hurt, your bitterness? He wants to break you free from that. And then he wants to use you and your future to bring hope, to bring salvation, to bring redemption, to bring reconciliation, to bring freedom to all the people you interact with. But it's time to walk forward and not keep looking backwards. It's time to walk free. It's time to walk fearless. That's the freedom plan that God has for you. If you are encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be uplifting to others, then be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church podcast.